join Beer Edge for our first live event, Inspired by Beer, an evening with Tommy Arthur of the Lost Abbey and Port Brewing. During this Boston-area tasting, listen in as Tommy discusses beers that have inspired him in his brewing career, plus drink a few of his own creations. The fun happens on January 30th. Find tickets and more information at BeerEdge.com. I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Bill Schufeld of Athletic Brewing Company. Being at the finish line, pouring beer, and I will say a lot of the, and it's totally earned by the category, um, a lot of people walk up and they're about to take one, realize it's not alcoholic, and act like their hand got burnt. And like, <laughs> Our full conversation is coming up next, but first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. You're likely already familiar with Highlight IPA from the brewery, but have you met Florida Man? The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA is back and has been given a makeover. It has a drier, cleaner malt profile and additional hop varietals that boast notes of honeydew and melon. Look for the four-pack cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing tasting room and on shelves at the start of this new year. Or learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Welcome to a new year and a new episode of Drink Beer, Think Beer. This first month has become known as Dry January by a certain segment of drinkers. The excess of end-of-the-year holidays and New Year's resolutions that have people thinking healthier thoughts has played into this cultural movement where people decide to give up booze or go dry for the first whole month of the year. So I thought it was fitting to sit down with Bill Schufelt of Athletic Brewing Company. He founded the company after he gave up beer and drinking, but still wanted the experience of knocking back a cold one. His brewery is based in Stratford, Connecticut, just a short distance from Two Roads Brewing. Athletic is part of a new wave of non-alcoholic breweries that have opened across North America in recent years, riding the trend of healthier drinking or just drinking less. This is something that younger drinkers, the millennials, are doing, along with boomers. The word occasion is often used when talking about when people consume non-alcoholic drinks, and it can be everything from office happy hours to backyard barbecues. The non-alcoholic category is still small in the U.S., like almost non-existent. But consider Europe, where the NA category is about 10% of beer sales, so there's definitely room to grow. In this interview, recorded in New York City at the Arts and Craft Bar, Bill talks about some of the challenges to get his beer to market and into the hands of interested drinkers. He's reluctant to talk about how the company actually makes the liquid and really just prefers to stick to the marketing pitches. But he's in the driver's seat on the road to the non-alcoholic beer revolution, and I started by asking him to set the scene of where things stand as we start off a new decade. Here's our conversation. What, 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 as we head into 2020, I'm really curious to see where the non-alcoholic beer space goes because it seems like just within the last two years we've had a, a, a real sort of boom in the industry uh in in this part of the of the beer industry um you know we had all of the uh you know the red bridge or the cost tower you know na or saint Pauli girl na and a lot of these things like forever 
Uh, and it almost seems like there's, in the same way that there is a, a, like a craft beer rebirth, it almost seems like there's a non-alcoholic beer rebirth. And it's sort of born out of the same thing. Like, we're tired of the same flavors. Uh, give us something that we want to drink. So I, I guess the question is, the, the, the obvious first question is, why is this happening now? Yeah, and I really think it's just just getting going. Um, a lot of those brands you just named are around from the 70s. Um, I mean, there had been no new entrants in this category since the early 1990s with O'Doul's. Um, but all those brands, Caliber, Klaus Taylor, etc., are all from the 70s, which people think are new. But imagine if there's any other part of the grocery store that hadn't turned over like that in that long. Yeah. Um, but I really think it's just the beginning. Um, you said boom. It is such a minuscule category in the big picture of the $110 billion beer market. Um, it's mere half a percentage of that, even though it's growing very quickly. Um, I think that growth and the... Well, it's landed with a sound, let's say. Yeah, for sure. And it's in a craft beer world where craft beer has done such an incredible job reaching the existing occasion base. And... Craft beer is incredible. They nail Friday, Saturday nights, Thursday nights. But there is a whole different population of adults out there, maybe 50% of the adult population. But even in that craft beer drinking world, there are 80% 80 of the week's occasions. People might not prefer alcohol also. And I think that's just the slightest penetration into that occasion base has been what's showing up in the IRI and Nielsen data. And that's like... The awareness is probably like... IRI being an industry tracking service. For sure, yeah. yeah. And um, I really think that's just like a 1% awareness of what's going on in the category even. Um, so I, I really think it's the start of a very modern trend that's here to stay. The thing that I found interesting uh, in speaking with you in the past and, and even reading up on your backstory is you, you didn't just get into this because you saw you know, a, a money-making opportunity. I mean, this is actually like, you don't drink anymore. Yeah, this is pure passion. I mean, we do a lot of things that are quite opposite of money-making um, <laughs> on many levels. We uh, first... Oh, we, welcome to yeah, beer. Yeah. Um, but really, I came from an incredibly stable financial job, um, but there was zero fulfillment in that. It, it could have been, I could have had the best year ever in finance and not positively impacted a single person's life wouldn't have felt good at the end of basically any workday uh, for good authentic reasons. Um, when I started moderating my drinking, um, I, I've loved craft beer for a long time, went to college in Vermont. Um, when I started moderating my drinking, um, I felt great. I was just a really natural adult progression. I was turning 30 years old. I was about to get married taking my job much more seriously, working six days a week essentially. More athletic endurance events um and so i was monitoring my drinking for really authentic reasons it just there was no craft beer to fit that and it was a major pain point in my life um but i also saw the positive impact it had on me um and i thought if i could make moderation cool and reach different populations not only helping out those who have actual documented alcohol problems yeah but just help the average family man who takes his job seriously have great social beers that they can drink in any occasion um, that could be an impact in millions and millions of people which I was super excited about um, and so that was kind of the moment I quit my job there when you first when you started moderating your drinking what did you go to 
you know, to replace the beer that you had been drinking. Yeah. I'd, so, San and I lived in New York for a decade before I moved back out to Connecticut where I grew up. Um, and I'd go to the nicest, any restaurant from dive bar to like a high-end restaurant for a work dinner. Mm-hmm. There was nothing on the menu besides maybe a really sugary mocktail if I was lucky. Yeah. But really little between water, coffee, soda. And if you're ordering a coffee with a main course, it's a pretty rude move in general. So, <laughs> but like that's in New York where you can get anything you want. Yeah. And, um, so it was a really big pain point in my life. So were you drinking non-alcoholic beers at that point? Like were you? Yeah, it was. I mean, non-alcoholic beer for the past three decades has been single style. It's been a lager, uh, usually imported, uh, usually having the alcohol burnt off, which takes the hops and a lot of the esters and compounds right with it. And um, all these industrialized dealc technologies really just torch the ingredient quality. And there hadn't been a dollar spent on innovation or marketing in non-alcoholic beer in forever. Um, so that was... Well, that leads me into sort of this interesting theory because I don't know if people fully understand what non-alcoholic beer is like it, it, you can say it and it's like okay well that that's beer at zero um uh, or thereabouts you know maybe half a percent of alcohol or uh something along those lines but through most of the 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 process in the past has been just boiling the hell out of a finished beer right until everything evaporates yeah normally they choose ingredients that are cheap enough so that after you brew a fully fermented beer and burn it off it's still a marketable product for them um, and really no innovation whatsoever. Um, traditionally, I, and I think still 99% of the beers out on the market are fully fermented beers in the lager style. Um, and then the alcohol is removed in some form or fashion, either through burning it off by vacuum distillation or if it's um, some sort of dilution or reverse osmosis. Or um, there, All these methods have been around for 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, we started at the baseline that if these methods worked, the craft beer world is full of really ingenuitive people who are hyper-focused on innovation and quality and sessionable offerings. And um, so we kind of started with the baseline that if it was possible with those technologies, people would be doing it already. Um, and we might've been a bit naive in quitting our other jobs to start it, but it, uh, I think we got to a pretty good spot. Well, so how did you arrive at, I guess, one athletic and what uh, you wanted it to be? Because most of the beers that are out there in the non-alcoholic space are essentially lagers, uh, you know, light lagers. But, you know, we're, we're drinking a goes right now. Um, uh, you've, you have your IPA. Uh, you have a, a, a variety of different things. And it's got to be a different process when you're actually using real ingredients or, you know, a multitude of ingredients, but also trying to uh, get people to think like, oh, this is a, you know, a goes, or this is a, uh, this is an IPA. Yeah. And that was our baseline when we launched the company, myself and our other co-founder and head brewer, John, um, John said, we are not launching this product unless we get real craft beer that we're proud of. Um, And so that was our baseline coming in. Um, We wanted just total variety and true craft beer relative to the lagers that were out there. Um, and it might have been totally naive, but I started doing research on the side during my old finance job on nights and weekends. Didn't have time to go to brewing school, so I downloaded the curriculums from Siebel and UC Davis, read all the textbooks with the bent on 
how to make a fully fermented beer, but non-alcoholic with all the esters and compounds. Um, and came up with what I thought were two solid approaches to it. And I took that to John when we teamed up. Um, and we kind of got down to homebrewing and we did hundreds of batches of homebrew. How were um, those first batches? Um, well, some of them were great. We got lucky for the wrong reasons in some of them. In general, they weren't. We tried a wide variety of approaches. We made sure to try all existing approaches also. And then we went into our core approaches. Um, and it probably took about 30 batches before John was very satisfied with it. We brewed our golden ale first just because it's so clean, crisp, and imperfections would really stand out. Right. Um, I'll admit around batch eight, I was pretty fired up coming from drinking non-alcoholic beers that are on the market. But uh, John, it wasn't until we got in the 30s and 40s he was pretty fired up. How long ago was that? And, that, and then how long did it take to actually launch the business? Yeah, so I first had the idea about five years ago and did two years of work on the side um, between business planning, traveling around, process work, calling people overseas. Uh, John teamed up about two and a half years ago. I quit my job. I quit my job Jan 1, 2017, and John joined up uh, about five months after that. Um, and then we were in the process of dialing in our process. Uh, beer started to taste good. We broke ground on our facility Jan 1, 2018. Um, and then we opened our doors May of 2018. So it's about 18 months now. So are you licensed as a brewery with the TTB? We are, but we don't have to be. It's uh, more just to fit in a lot of systems more easily. Uh, there's a lot of education and confusion that goes on with non-alcoholic beers. So yeah. So can because I, 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 I think that there's just there's a lot of like clouds in the way of you know anybody who's even listening uh, where we just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's. Uh, it seems very easy, and we thought that coming up with the process was 90% of the job, and we're done, and you can launch a non-alcoholic <laughs> skew, and that's the way 99% of conversations I have with craft brewers start is like, I want to launch a skew that's non-alcoholic. And, and that's, it, it, that's just the barcode that's on your, yeah, your package, essentially. To, yeah, just a different brand, uh, yeah. or like one offering in a lineup of 20 beers or yes. something. And um, it's it's really um, it's an interesting education process where um, you do have to get your non-alcoholic beverages license with both your state and federal FDA. Mm -hmm. um, but you do have to draw up a pretty thorough food safety plan. Um, John and I both got advanced food safety degrees. Um, and food safety in non-alcoholic beer is really every bit as scary as the overall process to make it. Um, non-alcoholic beer doesn't have the alcohol as a preservative um, and so there are a lot of different touch points where beer is exposed either through dry hopping or anything like that in your canning process everything needs to be perfectly sanitized multiple times over if you're in an alcoholic facility yeah um, otherwise you're gonna have cans exploding on the shelf spoiling re-fermenting and it's not like launching an alcoholic fruited goes that explodes on the shelf because <laughs> that that customer is looking for the alcohol these are really sensitive customer populations sometimes and yeah it could be pregnant women or recovering alcoholics and so we've really overspent on quality a lot it was something we focused on right from the start it was hugely painful while we we're bootstrapping um 
Russ, the head of our lab program, is an incredibly talented microbiologist. Um, but yeah, food safety is paramount and really the only safe way to go about things is tunnel pasteurization. I was going to ask if yeah. these were pasteurization because like it, it, to be shelf stable because you're in you're on a warm shelf in the grocery store, presumably. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can get cooler space, great. But that's such a premium and, you know, non-alcoholic beer has lived, uh, you know, off of aisle 17 for as long as uh, uh, any of us can remember. Uh, yeah, and I want to get to those challenges in a, in, in, in a second. But um, but you also have to do uh, your nutrition information on here as well. Um, Is that through the yeah, FDA? Yeah. Well, we'd honestly like to do more nutritional information. We did have a full nutrition facts on the side of our bands. Uh, on the side yeah, of I, our cans. I remember. Yeah, when I first saw it. Yeah, and they've uh, the TTB asked us to take that off, unfortunately. Really? Um, yeah. While they're but, still figuring out. Yeah, the FDA uh, the rules for in Connecticut wanted us to have it on there, and customers clearly want it too. Everyone says it's the most objective way to figure out what's in a package. Um, it's not a statement of health, but uh, the FDA has asked to take it off for the time being. Um, we do post it on our website and on um, any, like, 12-pack packaging or something like that. Like, that's what um, Bud Light does also. Yeah. So this is – so I'm looking at Run Wild, your IPA uh, here. 70 calories, 14-gram uh, carbohydrates, no protein, 1-gram fat. Um and it, it, it has on here yeast uh, as one mm -hmm. of the ingredients. So you're talking uh, water, organic barley hops, and yeast. Um, so is this brewed? Is this, like, yeah, can we call this beer? Like, is this, yeah, we brew even without a TTB license? Like, this is where I, I think some of the confusion lives in my mind. Yeah, so in the TTB definition, uh, non-alcoholic beer is not beer or an alcoholic beverage by federal definition. It's... We can use words like brew, near beer, cereal beer, words like that. Um, cereal beer. Yeah. That's a throwback a to <laughs> prohibition times. Um, but we do make it with all the differences. Um, a lot of those beers are brewed well over 0.5% and then distilled back down. Yeah. Um, which causes a confusion in the language that they use. But um, yeah, in, in general, we use just the four traditional beer ingredients, water hops, barley, yeast. Um, we use all organic grains. We are certified organic as both the beer and facility, um, which there are very few organic uh, beers out there, but it's super important to us, especially with a healthy proposition. Um, yeah, all our flagships are between 50 and 70 calories. So a really good... And that plays into athletic as well. And I mean, that's also the lifestyle that you guys are... Yeah, we really wanted, with the word athletic, um, we really wanted to be positive and aspirational in a category that's never had anything like that. Um, Non-alcoholic beer has always been the penalty box. Like, you have to answer for why you're drinking it. And we want people to lead with our beers, be proud of it, be proud of whatever their workout is the next day, or I'm going to pick up my kids after this, or, you know, I just wanted that one alcoholic beer, now I'm, like, winding down with these beers, or any number of those occasions we want people to be proud of it and we do speak to the healthy and active adult with the organic grains low calorie points any carbs are coming from the all organic grains no added sugars so does, does that make a big difference organic grains versus what you would get you know I, from a traditional maltster i think so it um it's 
it's something people are increasingly asking for and looking for on labels, organic, non-GMO, vegan, plant-based stuff. So um, we tend to check all those boxes and uh, we like to offer that proposition. Do you notice a taste difference? Can you notice a taste difference? Uh, have you guys done trials with organic versus not? I generally think the brewing ingredients in this country are of such exceptional quality and they're so fresh and so well treated for and so consistent that yeah. um, I, I think they're probably pretty similar. Um, we just like knowing for sure that where our beer and grain's coming from. So That makes sense. Yeah. So when you're brewing this, are you trying to brew to 0.5% or are you brewing up and then bringing it back down to the level that you want it to no we brew to under 0.5 um yeah if you if you brew over 0.5 you have to register what you do with the ethanol and stuff like that so okay we usually leave a nice margin of error and a lot of our beers are naturally in the even like 0.2 percent range really um, yeah like our our darker beers tend to be lighter in abv um our golden ales 0.2 um but really anything Really, anything below 1% is just total semantics. And that, uh, like, any grown adult can digest the alcohol in a non-alcoholic beer in, like, two minutes. Um, <laughs> where it's, like, fruit juice, kombucha. Yeah. Some bread and sandwiches has up to 1.9% alcohol. So, yeah. That's my kind of breakfast. Um, yeah. The, so, I guess if, if we walked into your brewery, uh, and it's in Stratford, uh, as you mentioned, and it's uh, uh, just down the street from Two Roads yep. uh, as well, which yeah, is, uh, is kind of fun. Um, if, you, if we do the tour at Two Roads and then we come and do the tour at Athletic, what do you think is the main difference we're going to see like on your brewing rig? Um, much less impressive and thoughtful brewery. Uh, Two Roads Brewery is an incredible tour if anyone well, has it. Well, I, I, but it, uh, humility aside, yeah. I mean, you know, um, are, are there are there differences in the actual stainless that you guys use versus um, what people might think of as a traditional brewery might be? Uh, some things are just customized for ease, really. Um, but it's uh, yeah, very much looking at our brewery is very much like a traditional brewery. Uh, we really overspend on quality. Not many breweries have a tunnel pasteurizer in there. Um, but, yeah, it's um, very much we have built up on a quality basis much more significantly than most craft brewers our size. Um, but, yeah, it looks very much like a traditional craft brewery. Um, and it is great being down the road from two roads. And, like, the Connecticut beer trail is incredible now where people hit two roads, Tribus, Fairfield Craft Ales, Brewport, and then tend to wind down their day at our place. So it works out pretty well. You're talking about your golden ale and your IPA and, uh, you know, the Goza. These are fairly traditional styles. Are there, are there beers that you just can't make in the non-alcoholic space at this point? Are there, are there still limitations of – you've obviously cracked a code for what the majority, I think, of craft consumers are looking for these days. But are there still – things that are just outside of the realm of achievability right now uh for sure it um and we're always experimenting what we can get at um and with different ingredient packages also um our co-founder is our co-founder john as well as the rest of our brewing team and russ our head of quality are incredible recipe creators uh 
So here on the table in front of you, I do have our hometown harvest, which is like a hearty celebration style IPA. I have our freeway double hop IPA, which is much more East Coast, New England, juicier, really heavy on Amarillo hops. Um, but um, then we also have a goes, a cucumber goes, um, and a bunch of different beers. We had a Hefeweizen on this spring. So it's a really big range out there. Um, we tend not to go for styles that where like alcohol is a key ingredient, like say an imperial stout or okay. something like that. Like we make a lighter chocolate coffee stout, but like if people want a dark, hearty, alcohol heavy stout, there's not really a need for us to try to replicate that because alcohol is a key part of that experience. And um, for food safety reasons and non-alcoholic, you probably don't want to be trying any uh, like barrel aging stuff or uh, <laughs> wild The yeast. bugs that you're going to introduce. Yeah. So no yeah, pretendomyces. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wild yeast stuff that's going to be in the brewery for three years and potentially get your whole lineup and not even make it. But yeah. Um, yeah, we John's goes is incredible. Um, and we had a cucumber goes also that we had out at GABF a few weeks ago. But cucumber goes was like spa water. It was super refreshing and enjoyable. So that's that sort of brings in this interesting thing where you can start to you, you've talked about sort of the lifestyle, uh, you know, the certain occasions, um, but spa water is something that you think of as sort of healthy when you're being a little bit indulgent to it. You know, I mean, cucumber water, I remember a couple of years ago when Whole Foods was selling it for something like, you know, like $11 for like a half pint or something like that. And the world went nuts of just like, you know, we're sort of out of control with, uh, with some of these things. Um, well, it's not easy. John carved up 50 farmer's market cucumbers and got them into the fermenter in a sterile way. And, and uh, I could definitely see why Whole Foods might charge a premium for it. Um, but, you can go into places where traditional beer can't. And I keep using the word traditional, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm being accurate when I'm saying that. But, you know, beer in the way that I think the majority of us think of. Um, yeah. uh, but you can go into places where others can't. And are you then targeting or looking for those opportunities? And then I guess the follow-up would be, um, what does that lead to practically for the business yeah it um and we're really just scraping the surface of that um a lot of our athletic partners have races that finish at high schools or state parks and um yesterday i ran in a 50k that finished in a state park and just had a big cooler of our beers there at the end. just hearing you say that <laughs> yeah um i'm not fast by any means i'm just out there for the calorie burn so i can <laughs> so i can eat after um but it's incredible to be there with a huge Yeti cooler of athletic beers in a state park. Um, a lot of our events are at beaches. Um, me and Nick do a Long Island triathlon tour where we hit eight stops and we're on the beach at the finish lines. And it's places where people have never been able to have beer before, but they can run a race, have a good beer, hang out with their kids and feel good. Um, but that extends into we can go into gyms, we can go into like rock climbing gyms, sports stadiums, non-licensed stadiums. We have a lot of interest from college stadiums. Um, there are just so many. Um, a lot of states limit the amount of stores that can have licenses. For okay. example, Massachusetts, only seven stores per chain can have an alcohol license. Right. So we can hit the other 50 or whatever. Um, 
so there's but also gas stations um there's really um we are just scraping the surface and people are asking us for different places to get our beer every day um, and we're kind of just letting our customers take the lead on that more with bill schufelt of athletic brewing in a minute but first this episode is sponsored by cigar city brewing which has been paying homage to its beloved local resident florida man it's a big old double IPA brewed with bright citrusy hops and an assertive bitterness that just about matches Florida man's general disposition. This hopped up whopper of a beer is big in character and guaranteed to sear itself into your memory, just like the world's worst superhero, Florida man. And now back to our conversation at Arts and Crafts on the Upper West Side of New York City, just across from Columbia University. Getting back to what I was, what I was starting to get to with the, with the grocery store before, the stigma that comes with non-alcoholic beer. I mean, I imagine that you know, process-wise aside, you know, brewing to 0.5% is, you know, that seems impossible, I think, for a lot of folks. And, you know, you obviously need to have uh, the education and the equipment and you know, the, the know-how to, 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 to get that done. But then once it's ready and once it's, it's ready to get out there, it's, it's almost like how craft in the beginning People didn't. People were afraid of it because you know. Well, it's not Bud Miller cores, and you heard, you know, the the big guys kind of going after the little guys and saying, well, you know, the quality's not there, or anything else like that. I mean, it, it, you're in a space where innovation hasn't happened in 40, 50 years at this point. What does that mountain look like? Yeah, and it's um, we're very lucky. We're starting from a place of passion because the feedback definitely isn't always great. Um, it, like what's traditional I, feedback that's not great like what what are, like what are the emails that keep you up at night um well not necessarily emails emails are overwhelmingly positive okay and like i'd say 90 percent of our emails are total team sharing emails where like wow this has to go out to our brewing team and like so people know what it, the impact it's having um but it's really very similar to well, I guess in the feedback, people... So we sponsored over 100 athletic events this year. Just okay. being at the finish line, pouring beer. And I will say a lot of the... And it's totally earned by the category. Um, a lot of people walk up and they're about to take one, realize it's not alcoholic, and act like their hand got burnt. And like <laughs> they're backing off or <laughs> they're, like, they're like, what's the point? Or any number one of ridiculous jokes like incredibly rude to like our faces and sure i'm like I do as this. the author of several books i, I <laughs> yeah i yeah yeah it's like, i'm used to the rudeness to the face yeah it's like twitter where they're like oh, i'll probably never see this person again and but they say incredibly rude stuff and i'm like i do this for a living like but all we do is and um but that's not necessarily your fault like that's yeah. just what we've all been trained to do. I mean, like it's, it goes back to the grocery store of every time that I pass by in my aisle, uh, at the local stop and shop, like, you know, they're dusty. Like these oh, things haven't been touched in years. Like it's well deserved. And, but that moment, once we've got like a shockingly negative place of tension yeah. is exactly where we want to be because the turnaround is going to be the most dramatic thing that happens to them. Maybe that week. Um, and, uh, Nick, our New York territory manager, who's right next to me, is probably the best at this in the company. But once they enter our radius, all we have to do is get them to try the beer. And 95% of the interactions are hugely positive. Okay. And so we just get into their hand. I say, you can make fun of me as much as you want after you try it. And people do. And it's 
the conversion rate's unbelievable. And a lot of people don't go to the beer tent next to us after that. They just grab one of our beers and go on their way. Um, or a lot of people hang out for like 10 minutes just telling us all the different places in their life where it fits and where they're going to drink them. And, or it's like, it's amazing. Like, this is my new beach beer. Or this is the beer I can have before I tuck my kids into bed and like still do work after. Um, so but that's human interaction. That's yeah. you hand selling in front of it. When you're on the shelf at the grocery store next to... You know the dusty green bottles of Klaushauer, yeah. and you know your packaging. You know looks new and modern, and it has you know it's easy to read and and all that. And it's got the it's, you know sticker cans, and you know you're you're sort of ticking all of the the craft boxes, but you're still in aisle seventeen. Yeah. So how do you how do you get past that hurdle? Uh, very often we're in those grocery stores sampling, um, and we've really only got to win a few fans in every store, and they'll clear, clear out the shelf. Um, like this summer when supply was tight, we had people waiting for the trucks to get to the grocery stores at like Whole Foods and Wegmans. So it, Come on, you had groupies? Like, <laughs> it, was, it was a tough summer. It was super tight on capacity. Um, are you, are you literally saying that there's beer lines outside of Whole Foods, like, you know, like the pastry guys lining up outside of other half waiting for your beer? I will say that people ask the beer buyer what day it arrives, and then they would wait there for the trucks to arrive in the morning, and it wouldn't even hit the shelves. It would go, and so it wouldn't cure out of stock, and we'd still be at risk of losing the shelf, even though we dropped off like 10 cases. Um, so it was a really exciting summer, but painful on that front, but... Um, the onus is definitely on us to drive that reverse demand. Yeah. It is much more of a pull than like the traditional um, beer offering. But we just have to get those true fans that buy it locally and then tell their friends about it. And then before you know it, you have 10 people looking at that shelf. And those 10 people are telling five each. And it uh, kind of all goes from there. Um, Do you try to get into the beer aisle as well? Uh, we don't unless it's... Uh, so the non-alcoholic shelf is typically right next to the um, where like the healthy beers are. <laughs> that too, Mrs. But, uh, T's uh, morning Bloody Mary. Yeah, but it, it could also be right next to all the really well-known active beers or the imports or the healthier like Spike Seltzer type beers, and that's where we get the most migration from those well-known healthy beers that don't really check the box. Um, if we're in the middle of the craft beer shelf, it's only people looking for alcohol that see it there and not the people looking for no alcohol. So yeah. it doesn't go as well there. We have had a lot of success with our retailers who are like, wow, this is what's in the rest of the basket. And then pair it next to like, say like a Quinn Snacks pretzel or like something like that, like a salty snack that pairs well with it. Yeah. How important is that? Well, I guess uh, the other thing, too, is um, price point for yep. something like this. If I was going to come pick up a six-pack in this general area, what would that set me back? Uh, in this area in New York, uh, ten ninety-nine to eleven ninety-nine usually. Okay, so um, in that sort of general craft beer. Yeah, like the we tend to be right at the low end of craft beer. That's where we want to be. We don't want to be... It's a leap from O'Doul's and stuff because it's a hugely more premium product. Sure. Well, O'Doul's, it's, uh, it's like three ninety nine for <laughs> but we when are they come using, to your house and tuck you in at night. Yeah. Yeah, and we are making a clear statement that we're a premium product. We use organic grains, um, so we have a that, yeah. more expensive ingredient bill. Um, 
and it's real beer. So we want to be in that craft range, but on the low end approachable side so that people can crush it during the week and it's not a big expense to like throw off their budgeting also. Right. Cause, and get, that's got to be the fine line to walk because if you, if you price it you know, with some of the other crafts that are out there these days, I mean, it's, people are going to have a tough time justifying it, you know, even if they you know, have the right occasion for it, but it's, you know, it's still non-alcoholic or it's still, you know. For sure, yeah. yeah. And we want trial to be as approachable as possible, and that's why we're really thankful for a lot of the New York City bars who have us on tap, um, like Arts and Crafts, where we are here. Um, we're drinking our goes on tap. Um, but Top Hops has had us on tap uh, downtown all year. Yeah. Like these are uh, as is in New York often has us on tap. But these are incredible partners who serve our beer on tap and really offer a low trial for people where it's so much easier to pay four or five dollars to try it out on tap and fall in love with it and then buy it in stores. Sure. Yeah. Where does non-alcoholic beer go from here? I mean, it, it, there's there's uh, several. Uh, non-alcoholic breweries that have opened up in the last two years. Uh, I think yours is one of the better known, but Sierra Nevada has gotten into it uh, with the purchase of the, uh, or the more active lifestyle out in, uh, in California. Uh, Sufferest, I believe it's called. Um, yeah, they're, they're alcohol and um, all their beers are 4% plus and gluten removed. Okay. Um, but incredible company. I have a lot of friends that suffer fast and think super highly of them and they obviously paired up with a, yeah, pretty decent, uh, uh, pretty decent outfit, but incredibly I, well thought of. Yeah, and I apologize. I, I sort of more meant with with the um, uh, it, their active lifestyle as well. It's their their sort of meeting the you know let's go for a fifty mile run and then come back and have some beers, uh, alcohol or not. Um, but as far as the non alcoholic breweries go, and you're one of maybe a half dozen or so that's opened up in the country in the last uh, uh, last two years or so, and everybody's sort of doing something different, uh, it, it seems, or at least trying to do something different. Where does it go from here? If you're saying it's not a boom, if it's, uh, you know, a yeah, tenth of a tenth of a tenth, yeah. Yeah, I really think it's just the first inning of something that's going to be around for a while, and it's, I think all the modern health trends speak to this lasting for a decade plus of serious growth, and uh, you mentioned before that it feels very much like the start of craft beer. And um, that really is kind of what we feel like. The way Jim Cook was out there going bar to bar to like tell his story and get over the educational hurdles. That's really what we fancy ourselves to. Um, Bank of America had a research report out Friday that something to the effect of sober October. No, this is just a continuation of the trend, um, like barely a blip in an accelerating trend where... It's something like 66% of millennials, 21, 34, are actively reducing their drinking, and 50% of adults have 0.1 drinks or less per week. So it's there's a huge population out there, and I think people still love craft beer, and there's always going to be a spot for that. But it's going to be a few really premium, like really well-thought-of, high-quality beers. And then there could be a bunch of other beers that they can fit in other healthy occasions during their week and feel good, I think. So um, I think the trends of declining alcohol usage kind of meet up with where we're starting. Um, so, And I think those trends might accelerate as there become more offerings between the water, coffee, and soda. What, what, as far as water, coffee, and soda, as like the occasion drinks 
the non-alcoholic occasion drinks. Yeah, like as there are actually menus or offerings on menus at bars and restaurants where people can go and just do normal social things and enjoy a good meal and have anything between our beers and a kombucha or something thoughtful and flavorful. Um, I think those alcohol usage rates might continue to decline pretty significantly. Um, And somewhere in that mix also is the post-prohibition moment of cannabis as well. How does that play into it? I think, so in general, the world is an extremely stressful place. And there are a few ways to escape from that, I think. (laughs) It it could be anything from having a great beer, hanging out with friends and family. Um, It could be cannabis. It could be a workout. It could be meditation. It could be any one of a number of things. And I think cannabis availability probably also digs into alcohol a little bit. Um, But I'd like to think a number of those other things I listed, including our beer, probably plays into the, like, plays hand in hand alongside the adoption of cannabis, probably. Sure. Where I mean, people don't want to mix influences. So you can be there for that and position yourself in that space, which yeah. is interesting to me because there's so many of the brewers who are trying to chase CBD right now and then trying to get into THC where they're looking to hopefully one day infuse. Uh, marijuana into into their alcoholic beers uh, and, and, and sell them. But this is sort of an interesting, almost like having two different silos of... Yeah, and we... Um, so it's... Like, we do have the fortunate position of having e-commerce sales data on by state, by region, everything. Um, and our beers index really well in Colorado and California and the Pacific Northwest also. And it could be it could be the active lifestyles or it could be as a really good pairing with cannabis so, yeah um, but it's definitely something we've noticed um, and I think it makes sense it's like a super flavor flavorful pairing that won't impair you in a different way I'm sort of curious as to recipes that are on your hit list at this point or continuing the innovations um uh where do you want to see your beers go yeah um and that's totally our co-founder john is an incredible recipe crafter and um it's amazing a lot of our seasonal recipes have been ready for market his first iteration um and we constantly tweak uh limited releases and trials in our tap room and stuff but we really want to make more available our limited releases like our freeway double hop ipa our hometown harvest and our down downwinder goes um just whenever so we have a online release of our hometown harvest tonight at five o'clock online and some of these releases only last 30 seconds so we have to definitely make more of our existing offerings before we really branch out too much further when you say online offerings you're able to mail directly from the brewery yep yeah, so uh, depending on the month, anywhere 30 to 50% of our business is online. Really? Yep. How much and are people, and these are individual customers? Yep. And how much are they buying at a time? Is um, it like a six pack or is it a pallet? Like, what are people loading up on? So, we do limit the amount people can buy just okay. so it gets spread out a little bit. I think um, we limit two six packs per variety per order. Okay. So at most, people are getting like two cases of beer. Still, um, that's, you know, that's a nice benefit also of. Uh, not having TTB oversight of being able to do that as well. Yep. Yeah. And it's, 
shipping beer is super expensive, but we say. figured out ways to make it work. And especially if that beer is breaking and getting returned, it's the refund process and stuff. So we've iterated a lot in our e-commerce. Um, but it's great to be able to essentially reach our community anywhere out there. And are you driving demand through limited releases, through seasonal releases? Like It seems like you're following a lot of traditional beers playbooks in, in, in certain ways. Um, Be it the Grip and I, Grin or, yeah. Yeah, I think it. Uh, it's just it's really fun to make seasonal releases. And we have uh, different rotating quarterly offerings and limited releases. And it's that's more just something like we're brewing what we want and we think is good and what people in our tap room have told us is good. And then we share it on a wider basis. Um, but yeah, it just, it tends to rhyme with the traditional playbook a fair amount. But the great thing is instead of people waiting in line for two or three hours, it's just a race to buy it online. I'll flip the question though. There's a lot that you can learn from traditional beer. What do you think traditional beer can learn from the non-alcoholic space? Yeah, it could. Um, I mean, we have definitely learned a lot from traditional beer. John and I and our team are definitely students of the game and incredible mentors throughout the landscape. Um, we've talked a lot about Two Roads and the guys at Night Shift are incredible mentors also. Um, but yeah, it could. Uh, I mean, our beer in general is really hyper focused on quality i think that's something that definitely has to stay at the forefront yeah i mean there are obviously people like sierra nevada who are famous for quality and are a shining example that we've learned from um but i think that's something craft brewers are gonna have to be hyper focused on going forward because people aren't just gonna buy things because they're local anymore right um i think also just being creative and innovating um, like our team is innovating and iterating everything we do every day and we have the advantage of talking directly with so much of our customer base but I think just l listening and like being really customer focused is like the best thing we do cool um, yeah so much about so much about business these days is about like scattershot and like digital marketing and like trying to do things as cheaply and broadly as people can um we're really trying to do the opposite and go as deep as we can in communities and um like this weekend i was at the finish line of two races and just like literally handing beer to people one-to-one -one and sharing it with them and yesterday i ran with three guys who i've developed relationships with over a two-year period just because we've run races together seen each other at finish lines and it's people throughout our company are doing that and we are covering a lot of miles every week and it's it's almost like retrenching and doing things the way people used to do things 30 40 years ago in a lot of ways so. it'll be exciting to see where it goes from here yeah we're we have a lot that we're right on the cusp of which we're super excited about um so. all right well stay tuned bill thanks so much i really appreciate you taking the time uh, thank you so much john really appreciate you having me on that's Bill Schufelt of Athletic Brewing. He's poised for a big year, and so are we here at the podcast. I'm going to start earning those frequent flyer miles, so in the coming weeks, expect to hear interviews with brewers and more recorded on location around the country. Tell me where you think I should go and who I should talk with. You can always reach me on email at johnhall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com, or on Twitter at john underscore hall. Make it your New Year's resolution to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help other people find the show. 
Nate Schweber does our music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, Andy Crouch's Baby New Year every year, and Ryan Newhouse is available to talk if you'd like to advertise. You can find him at ryan at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, this episode was brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. Florida Man is back and better than ever. The brewery's 8.5% ABV double IPA has been given a makeover. It's jammed with Pacific Jade, Galaxy, Azaka, Lemon Drop, and Simcoe. And Florida Man is balanced by delicate peach esters from a double IPA yeast and a dash of Canadian honey malt. Find four-pack cans of Florida Man, the beer, in the Cigar City Brewing Tasting Room and on shelves at the start of this new year, or learn more on their website, CigarCityBrewing.com. Get some today and pay tribute to the world's worst superhero, Florida Man. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. And that's it. That's the show. I'm John Hall. I'll be back next Wednesday, as I am every Wednesday, for a brand new show when we drink beer and think beer. Cheers. Cheers.